accidentally closed a page I didn't want to close. Damn it. When Travis closes a page, he opens up a window. <laughs> Today on From A to Ziggy, Boss of Me. Welcome to From A to Ziggy, the podcast where we discuss every single David Bowie song in alphabetical order, sometimes after listening to them. Uh, my name is Travis. My name is Thomas. And today we're talking about Boss of Me from mm. David Bowie's 2013 album, The Next Day. Yes. Um, our first song off The Next Day. This is the first one from The Next Day. First official Next Day song. We've done right. a couple extras, but now we're really, really getting into some Next Day. Yeah, Boss of Me. This is from near the end of the album, right? Yeah, like a little bit more than halfway through. Yeah. So I guess we'll give some context first. So this dropped seemingly out of nowhere. The next day? Yeah. Yeah, that's in right. March of 2013. Yeah, David Bowie had been living his life away from the spotlight. No one really seen or heard from him in, was it, nine years since Heathen oh, had come out? While, yeah. When did Heathen come out? He was 2002. And then he had a, well, reality, reality. Right? Reality tour, yeah. 2004. He did a tour in support of that album, and then he kind of disappeared. He had some heart problems, but... Uh, he did show up live once or twice, I think. Yeah, he like showed up and did a show with the Arcade Fire and Little guest spots. Yeah, did one with um, who's the guy from Pink Floyd? Robert. Oh, uh, David Gilmore. Plant. David Gilmore. Yes. Um, did some guest spots, guest appearances on at shows, but uh, yeah, he had sort of disappeared. wasn't being seen very much. And then this album comes out all at once. It's been you know just kept a huge secret, which kind of started a trend of, of people doing that, just like recording albums in secret and then releasing them. It was preceded by a video for one of the most unlikely singles, Where Are We Now? So that was the first single off of this, with a great video featuring puppets. Um, but those are not the songs that we're covering. This is Boss of Me. Which, in keeping with the theme of talking about songs from next day, nothing really spectacular, nothing really bad. Just pretty standard late-era classic rock. Yeah. Singer doing... It's got a lot of the... A lot of what you would expect from a David Bowie song. Got some good saxophone in there and interesting lyrics. Oh, lyrically, it's kind of... This is another one that kind of like Born in a UFO where I had to really take a look at the lyrics to try to get anything out of it. Listening to it, I'm thinking to myself, what am I, I'm missing something here. There's gotta be something to this. But no, it's, it's pretty much just another, again, it's kind of a quirky angle on a love song. Yeah, this is one of those angles that if you look at it through the, a different view, could feel like one of those quasi-sexist, like, oh, happy wife, happy life kind of things. Like, oh, she's the boss of me. But I don't think that's what he's going for here. It is that kind of, when you get so knee-deep in the whole love thing and you're just like, almost prefer them to kind of have that, that lead in your life. Just kind of like, yeah, she's kind of the boss, but not in the bad way. It's just kind of like, you know, she just kind of can, takes over your life in that really good way. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, when I first heard it, I was thinking, you know, I was coming at it from the chauvinist angle. What's a woman doing being the boss of me? Right. Like, but I think if you uh, emphasize the small town instead of the girl part of it, it's like, well, you seem so innocuous. You seemed like... And clearly, I mean, so the obvious thing to think about when you hear this song is that the small town girl is Iman, you know. It's like you seem like uh, you're not going to have that much of an effect on me, but gosh darn it, I fell in love, yeah. and it's, I, can't, I can't help. Just uh, 
you have you have more of an impact on my life than I really thought you were going to have. Yeah. Yeah, you're kind of you're the boss of me in that like my main objective has shifted from being David Bowie to making you happy. Yeah. Which that's that's shifting a lot of focus. It takes a lot of focus to just be David Bowie. Yeah, that's that's a gigantic shift from that's that's a huge ego to subvert. But yeah, that's and that's that's pretty much it's pretty much all <laughs> that just summed the entire song up. Dissect. There's, yeah. there's not much more to it than that. Um, except for the one little the little lyrical quirk, the supposed origin of the song. This is a little anecdote that was on on the Bowie song site where he um, was visiting with Jerry Leonard, who played guitar on, on this song, and he saw one of his effects pedals, which is a Boss ME80. From the company Boss. Yeah. And the model number is ME80. It's the ME80, yeah. It basically just looks like it says Boss Me. And right. Then it, <laughs> from there, so it just turned into like this central sensitive. idea for a song and then built the song around that. Which is, that's an unconfirmed story. Unconfirmed story. But but a, a, a funny enough story that I really want it to be true. Yeah. How could they not have the people at Boss put that there deliberately as somebody, they're, they're coming up with their new effects pedal line and the supervisor for the project comes in and says, guys, we got to come up with a name for the new effects pedal. And they're like, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Eureka! So yeah, this is a... Oh, actually, this so I, I I pulled it up. You have a picture of the boss. I, I do. Eighty. So it actually it's similar to a, a pedal board that I used to have. Got all kinds of knobs and. Yeah. So it's if it's anything, it's it's actually a quite a bit nicer version of what I used to have. Actually, the one I had was a Korg. It wasn't even a Boss. But like each pedal basically has different settings. You can kind of mix and match, make very unique sounds. And oh, I miss that board so much. My old roommate's dog took a dump on it, and it never worked again. Oh, oh so sad. That was like my favorite toy for years. Was the was the dog a Corgi? <laughs> oh God, I wish. No, it was a black lab. Named Ozzy. Named after a metal singer, and he pooped on my guitar effects pedal. <laughs> Ah, the irony. No, that sounds exactly, it sounds completely appropriate. That sounds exactly like something Ozzy would do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, would, I would wager that Ozzy Osbourne has pooped on many an effects pedal with just as much intent as Ozzy the dog did. Just kind of unbeknownst to him, there's a pedal board there and it was going to happen. Ozzy this Black Sabbath Lab. Yeah, um, Black Lab, if that's what we used to refer to him. So, yeah, th I think the song is more interesting musically than uh, lyrically, but only after watching a video on YouTube. And I'll put a link to this on the notes. But there's a video of Jerry Leonard. This was co-written with Jerry Leonard, the guitarist on this album. Jerry Leonard spells out how he and David Bowie wrote this song. And they hammered it out quickly on paper. And he said he had this tune, he had this chord progression that he wanted to use, but he wanted to base it off C minor, which he says not a lot of rock and roll songs use because it's difficult to use correctly. Or rather, he shows how like a lot of rock and roll guitarists will just sort of slip into power chords and bar chords and how he could have done that with this tune that he came up with. But instead he took the C minor and adjusted it, moved it down until he finally gets to a uh, flatted fifth, which is also known as the uh, devil's interval, the tritone chord, which is which you'll remember from, uh, you heard it in, at the beginning of Purple Haze. It's this really dissonant, uh, discordant sound that is used all over the place in Western music to just sort of ratchet up the tension in a song. And so that's what this does. It moves from C minor, that opening riff is moving from C minor 
down to a flatted fifth of that and then back up and down. Uh, and he shows how he put that together. And if, and if he had done it in the standard rock way, how it would sound, it would have technically the same chords, but not the same augmentations to those chords. So it, it, would, it would sound just kind of boring, which I know we, we said this song sounds kind of like a standard rock arrangement, but it uses chords that you don't usually hear. You just have to listen for it, which I'm not really well-trained enough to do. I wouldn't yeah, have noticed this there. if I hadn't watched that video. So I'll post a link to the Facebook page about that. I should really learn some more about music theory. It seems like I'd, you know, it would open up a lot of more deep appreciation for things. Yeah, I almost took a uh, music theory class in high school. I don't remember why I never did. I just, yeah, went in a different direction. You know what? There's always online classes. There is always online classes. Um, better yourself, listener. The more you know. This has been our obligatory public what, what PSA. PSA, yeah. But don't don't go take online courses until you're actually done listening to the, to the podcast. Yeah. That's important. Better yourself, but not until later. Right. One thing I did kind of notice about this song, the structure of this song, though, is that the chorus opens up around itself. It sort of unfolds around itself. You have the first repetition of the chorus is just those four lines, but then... The second one, he takes the first two lines and kind of spreads them out with the baritone sax line doing the, that same opening riff in between the two lines. So you have lines one and two, but they're spread out across the length of four lines. And then he does the chorus. And then he also repeats the last line twice. So it's sort of unfolding around itself, like the first and the beginning and the end yeah. kind of go repeat themselves at the beginning and the end. And then the third time he does the chorus, he does that same thing with the beginning and the end, but then he also has a short instrumental break and then repeats the chorus within that with more baritone sax going on in there. So it sort of unfolds again, it sort of repeats itself again, which causes the song to kind of go on longer to out, outstay its welcome. Yeah. It, it, it seems like it should have faded out at some point, but I guess it's got that structure and I guess that's something to be said for it. But yeah, I don't know if that makes it better or worse. Uh, I think with the right song, and it, that kind of thing will add to it, but songs like this where there's not really a lot to it, it just starts to feel bloated. Yeah. Another thing about this song, and we'll talk about this with uh, all of the, the Next Day songs, is that uh, David Bowie was asked to supply... Do you have the page up here? Who's the guy? Rick somebody. He told Rick, Rick Moody. Moody, novelist, author. He wrote a Rolling Stone review, I think, for, for The Next Day. So Rick Moody wrote this... Uh, was writing this review of the next day, and he asked Bowie to supply him with some key words to work around, and just, he would incorporate those words into the review. And so Bowie sends him this list of 42 words kind of associated with the album, and Rick Moody writes this 12,000-word essay around those 42 words. So the 42 words, people have sort of broken them down and tried to associate them with each of the songs on the album. There are 14 songs on the album, so that breaks down to three words per song and so people have associated them in groups of three with each song in the order that they came in Bowie's list and so if you do that the three keywords for this one are displaced flight and resettlement but I'm not I don't, I don't know if I don't know if they really match up that uh, directly because displaced flight and resettlement kind of seem like they're I mean there's the one line we fly through the night yeah. With tears on your lips. Yeah, so people have tried to associate that with uh, Iman. Moving from Africa and the Middle East to America, resettling and being displaced from 
another culture, but I don't know if it really matches up like that. Yeah, I guess it might just be one of those theories that people want to be true more than it actually is true. Yeah. Um, all right, that's all I got on uh, Boss of Me. That's all oh, I no, got. Oh, no, it's not. Uh, there's some cool... Uh, yeah, that's all I've got. That's really all I've got. That stuff can come up later. Just general next day stuff. Yeah. Yeah. In that video, Jerry Leonard says that uh, Tony Levin was playing a Chapman stick on this song, which is this weird kind of electric bass with like 12 or 24 strings or however many it is, 10 to 12 to a lot. And you play it with both hands, kind of like a keyboard. But I'm not sure if it's on this song because it doesn't sound like, it doesn't have, it sounds like it could just be a bass guitar, which is what he's credited with. Yeah. Um, Tony Visconti plays recorder on it, which is kind of... Yes! There's a that's recorder. A noble, that's a noble thing, yeah. Kind of buried in the bridge. You sort of have to listen for it, but it's there. Kind of a callback to uh, Man Who Sold the World. Yeah. So, yeah, there's some interesting stuff in here. You just kind of have to dig at it to get it, but it's there. I would listen to this song again. I would recommend. Would recommend. Yeah. I don't think it's a song if I was like, I want to just pick and choose a couple songs I would listen to, but I certainly would skip it if I'm listening to a, the whole album. It's a deep cut. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Up to now, I have skipped it when listening to the album. You you really, you have to do this. You have to do this, what we're doing right now, talking about it. Yeah. Really um, appreciate it. It is kind of a filler song. Great mixtape material if you're ever making a mixtape for someone, I guess. If you're, if you're on... Not a Bowie, like, I want to get this person into Bowie mixtape, but a... If you're on your th- the thousandth song of a playlist that you're yeah. trying to create well, for let's, someone, let's, and you just can't figure out what it's going to be... So let's be real. Throw on Boss of Me. If you're making... It, chances are, if you know this song, you're probably around our age. Probably. Not a lot of young people are probably seeking out late-era Bowie, except for Blackstar because it got popular because of the circumstances. But um, So chances are if you're around our age and you're making a mixtape for someone, you've probably made a lot of mixtapes in your day. Law of averages, you've made a lot of mixtapes. And there's that kind of need to try not to repeat a song because it feels kind of like disingenuous to use one song that used an old mixtape for someone years ago, unless it's like really special circumstances. Okay. That's the circumstances where you would probably use this song. It's like you're you're with someone you've been with for a while and you use so many songs, either tapes for them or tapes for high school loves past or whatever. And you're like, okay, this song has the right sentiment. This is, yeah. And this is, so this is the song that allows you to choose a love song for your mixtape, but still retain your mixtape cred. Yeah. not repeating a song. And have to like make a mark on the, on the liner notes that, hey, this is, don't take this sexist. I repeat songs on mixtapes all the time. I do sometimes. I have a couple songs that like I've I've definitely used because they're either a so good or it just turns out that it happens to fit a, a new sentiment as well as an old one. Yeah, like I'm a little. I I would be. It's a good thing I don't. I'm not friends with a lot of girls I've made mixtapes for in the past on Facebook or whatever. But like, chances are, if you ever dated me from the age of 13 to now, and I've made you a mixtape, it has uh, "Love Buds" by Nirvana on it. That's been like my go-to for years. Have you ever heard the original version? I have by uh, uh, Shocking Blue. Blue. Shocking Blue. Yeah, yeah. Very different. I like that one better. I like the Nirvana one better, but I think it's just because that's what I grew up on. You have a bias. I do. Have, I have a strong bias. It's like one of my two or three favorite songs on Bleach and probably one of my like 20 favorite Nirvana songs ever. I, I give a lot of thought to their catalog. So I, I prefer that version. There's the Prodigy song that samples the Shocking Blue version too, which is good. Shocking Blue is a good band. Uh, we should do a Shocking Blue podcast. They have a lot of good songs. Um, 
even though I got their name wrong and totally dropped. <laughs> you can, you can edit that part out. That's where Electric being Blue. the producer kind of comes in handy. Have you heard the old joke where uh, Tony Visconti comes into the room and David Bowie's there with the lights out? He's like, David, what happened? He's like, blue, blue, the electric's blue. Uh, that's all, everybody. Good night. Um, so how many... Um, how many teenage mixtapes would you give this song? Um, I would give this song two teenage mixtapes. Mm-hmm. It's pretty unspectacular. It's a nice sentiment. It's a good warm and fuzzy. Conjures up some feelings for me. But yeah, it's nothing exciting. Two teenage mixtapes. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what I gave Born in a UFO. And then I'm trying to decide if I like this one you gave as much or worse. Born in a UFO, like two and a half. Two and a half? I'm hovering around there for this one. Two, two and a half. I'll go with two. Two teenage mixtapes. Yeah. It's a deep cut. And there's stuff to appreciate in there, but you kind of have to dig for it. Again, the disclaimer, even a not very good David Bowie song is still a very good song most of the time. True. And, and this, true, I think this true, is electric, one of those songs that, is, that, that does bring electric true for this one. Uh, all right. So that's it for uh, Boss of Me. This is a song about a small town girl. Next song we're doing, we're going to be covering a song about boys. Boys keep swinging. Boy, I can't wait to talk about that one. But I'm going to have to wait, as are you, listener. Boys keep swinging. Till then, you can follow us on Facebook and on Twitter, for me to Ziggy. Podcast at ZiggyZiggy.com is the email. Leave us a review and a rating on iTunes. If you do, that's really the best way to help us out, help us get some uh, visibility out there. So until Wednesday, my name is Thomas. And I am Travis. True, true, electric, true. I that sh- that should have been the um, the one for bleed like a crazed dad because we had the uh, what was that Spandau Ballet. Oh discussion. yeah, I know this much is true, true, electric, true. It's an opportunity. I, yeah, I've missed so much. There's so many monkeys <laughs> references in um, one of those Tin Machine songs.